Hey homies, I'm Mac. And I'm Jamie. And welcome back to our podcast, The Way. This is episode two. Yep. And we are so appreciative of all of your feedback, your support, and a lot of questions. We did have a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. um, it was super exciting. Uh, many of the questions that were asked, um, we're not going to be able to get to a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, we decided to kind of center this entire podcast around a specific idea yes. from our original conversation. Many of the messages were centered around mental health yes. and some of some of the ideas that many people are struggling with in their relationships. And uh, there was one question specifically yes. that kind of just kept coming back to us over and over again because we really, we didn't totally know how to answer it because it's something that has plagued our relationship. Yes, we've been there. It, and it, it hits really close to home. It's something that we've been through on two separate instances in really life-changing ways. Um, the first time we didn't, we didn't do well with it. And the second time, uh, we made some breakthroughs, but it was still something that was really difficult to overcome. And you'll probably see through some of this episode, there's some aspects that are kind of difficult for us to talk about. Yeah. And um, honestly, I think that's a good thing though, because this is being vulnerable and open and honest and we hope to share more of that throughout all of our podcasts, that this is something that affects everybody. Um, mental health is so important. And a lot of the time when you say mental health, people think mental disorder, yeah. um, but it's on a spectrum. Mental disorder, yes, there's not a lot that we can do um, as far as advice or help in that area. Nor would we want to. No, that's are... a therapist and a psychiatrist that yes. needs to tackle that with you. But as far as mental health, because it's on a spectrum and I've experienced it, Mac has experienced it, everybody has experienced some kind of mental health issue. We're all broken. We're all messed up a little bit and that's okay. And if you... If you find yourself thinking that you are a complete, whole, well-developed human being, you may fall into the category of mental disorder. Um, you, there needs to be some conversations yep. between you and a professional. No one no. is well-developed. No one is complete. This is a never-ending process until we're no longer here. And when we get to the end of our roads in this life, we, didn't, we never got to that point where we were completely developed. Uh, the specific question um, that was brought to us, and I'm going to paraphrase it a yeah. bit just because there were some specifics in the question that could... Uh, give it away. We don't want to give it away. Yeah, we want to keep this anonymous. Ultimately, the way the question was asked was in the context of what do I do when my spouse is struggling badly with their mental health and they need help, but I don't know how to give it to them. Um, and there was more to the question. Uh, there were attempts made to try to bring in a professional to help, and, and the person involved is, is resistant. Um, they don't think that they're struggling in that way, but it's a mental health issue that's substantial enough that it's having an impact on the relationship. Something that I misunderstood for many, many years, um, and I'm just starting to understand now, much later in life, mm -hmm. is that I had so many deficits coming into being an adult. And I thought that they were just mine. I really, I, I struggled yeah. to conceptualize anything beyond myself. And I never really considered how this was something that impacted many people, if not every single person. Generationally, we carry around bags of shit. Our great-grandparents gave it to our grandparents. Our grandparents then gave it to our parents, and our parents subsequently gave it to us. And unfortunately, we are now giving those same bags of shit to our children. Yep. And they're going to carry them around in life until they figure out how to put them down. And until they figure out how to put them down, 
those bags that we have burdened them with are forever going to influence the way they engage with the world, the way they make decisions, the way they communicate with people, uh, their relationships, and their strategies for moving forward and developing as human beings. We have these deficits because our parents had their own deficits. And, you know, when, when you're trying to develop a human being, that's ultimately what you're yeah. talking about in being a parent. You're trying to develop another human being to be a contributing member to, to society that's, that's healthy and compassionate and empathetic. And uh, it's an impossible task for the majority of all of my children's early life. The things I was most devoted to in helping them develop were the cups in me that were empty that weren't filled by my parents. Um, and ultimately it's very easy to look at the way you were raised and find fault in, in things that, that happened in your childhood. But the reality is, is we never really even notice the things that our parents do for us well, because we are so focused on the things that we feel they did not do well. And so just like any other, you know, parent child relationship, most people are developed in ways that their parents felt that they had deficits. Those became the things that they felt were most important because it was most important to them. It was the things that they highlighted. They were lacking. That they were lacking from childhood. So they focused predominantly on those things. So then subsequently, we are left with our own deficits that we focus on as adults. And so we contribute into our children's development predominantly in those areas. And we leave other areas lacking because we don't see them as important. And we don't see them as important. Our cups were filled. Because our cups were filled. Our parents did a good job in that way. And so ultimately you never get out of childhood without some type of deficit. And those deficits, they're going to plague every aspect of your life to varying degrees. And they're built up in different ways and from different environmental factors as well. From the neighborhood you grew up in, to the school you went to, to the friends you had, to the bullies or the enemies that you had. They all shape and formulate you as the individual that you are at this very moment. And it's important to recognize that, that there may be some empty cups and a little bit of deficit um, because that's the only way that you're going to become self-aware enough to start working on those deficits in order to be not just the best person that you can be but the best person in the relationship for your spouse or the best person that you can be as a parent to your children the best son to your mother the best daughter to your mother yep Across the board, um, the importance of self-development, um, identifying your deficits and finding ways to develop those in healthy, meaningful ways, they're going to affect many aspects of your life and many relationships that you have. The primary issue with these deficits is that as you proceed through life, there are going to be periods of time where your circumstances benefit you. They're they're good. You're happy. You've life got is a, great. Yes, life is great. You've got a roof over your head. Your kids are fed. You've got a job. Your bills are paid. These deficits are still going to influence you in a negative way. Uh, they're going to influence your work life. They're going to influence your home life. They're going to influence how you react in traffic. All of these aspects are fine for the most part until you face some type of tragedy or crisis. And every single person in this world is going to at some point. Once that time comes, managing those deficits while also managing that tragedy or that crisis as an individual is going to be almost untenable. When you add in a factor of being in a relationship, it's almost impossible. Uh, It will fracture your relationship. Uh, It can destroy marriages. Jamie and I have found ourselves in that situation twice in ways that were life-changing. 
we, I mean, we've run into that many times. We've had many tragedies, many losses. There were two that were very, very specific. And they were instances where we almost, we almost didn't survive it. Anytime you approach an obstacle in life, you approach that obstacle with a toolbox and a garbage bag. In that toolbox is every aspect of yourself, your character that you've developed over time that can aid you in overcoming this obstacle. In the trash bag is every negative thing that has ever happened to you, every negative circumstance in life, every bad character trait that you have developed as a result that is going to aid in your defeat of overcoming this obstacle. Sometimes you approach these obstacles and you've got more tools than you do garbage. And sometimes you approach these obstacles and you've got more garbage than you do tools. The only thing that saved uh, our marriage in both of these instances is we were lucky enough to have more tools in the toolbox than we did garbage in the bag. Um, The first instance is a a very difficult one. Uh, We did not succeed. Uh, we we didn't fail. No. I mean, our, uh, no. we... We our, stuck it through as far as yes. the relationship. We kept our marriage, marriage intact. And we're not discussed. This is not the... From the first podcast, it's... This is a completely different set of circumstances and a different life event. When crisis arrived yep. at our door. Um, you know, getting married young, having children young, of course... We were both full of our own deficits, and even after the very first crisis in our marriage where we thought, okay, this is it, this is over, um, we did a lot of work, um, did some work on ourselves, but just not quite enough to handle that second crisis or tragedy. Well, and I think what we worked on in in our first failed marriage, Mm -hmm. what we worked on was aspects of our character that were interfering with specifically more than anything good communication yes which was wonderful uh there were a lot of good tools to put in the toolbox that came out of that um when we approached crisis it was it was a little different it Uh, was yeah it wasn't for lack of communicate well there was some lack of good communication yes there definitely was we were definitely communicating (laughs) yes but it wasn't in the same way like any lack of communication wasn't done out of spite or manipulation no No, we wanted things to get better we had reached a point in our relationship where we both knew that we we wanted things to be happy we wanted things to be fulfilling yep um, we didn't always know how to get there. And I think that was more of what this situation yes. um, entails. Uh, and it uh, yet again, um, another pregnancy, yeah. uh, another difficult pregnancy. You'll, it's a common theme. Yeah. In <laughs> yeah. Um, Jamie went into preterm labor <clears throat> yep. at 30 weeks. 30 weeks. Yep. Um, she had to be medicated, put on bed rest and, uh, it was it was difficult. I I still went to work every day. Mm-hmm. Jamie probably needed a little bit more support from me, and I yet again concerned about finances. Um, didn't really take the time that yeah. I probably should have throughout the pregnancy, and you know a- after Jillian was born, yeah. and I think. You know, looking back now, I put a much greater priority on being present. Uh, And that was not the case then. I think at the time I was 20. We're so old. We're we're old. We can't remember. Um, No, I I guess I was 23. (laughs) Yes. And so that would have made you 26. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was 25. Yeah, 25. Gosh. So after Jillian was born, um, we were still dealing with some financial struggles. So that was a stress factor. Yes. Um, and a deficit that we did not know that we had in terms of how to deal with financial stress. Uh, because the financial stress isn't the problem. 
It's how you deal with financial stress. Yes. That's the problem. Um, so that was a deficit. Uh, we, we also had some issues with Jillian's health. Um, four days out of the hospital, she got very, very sick um, and was sick for months. Yes. Uh, where we were continually changing her formula. Um, she never stopped crying. She was always sick, uh, vomiting multiple times a day, yep. diarrhea multiple times a day. It was just really, um, really bad dehydration, the worst. Yes, uh, she, she had to be hospitalized a few times. And, uh, and through all of this, um, they, they could never find what the problem was. And we can get into that later. But ultimately, we had a very, very sick child who was for the most part uh, no didn't even seem there right um she she seemed detached it didn't seem like there was any character in our child whatsoever there was no no nothing but crying yeah. that was that was the extent of um our first few weeks and months as parents for the second time with Jillian yeah. um <clears throat> i continued to go to work every day um had weird hours uh jamie jamie needed some support and and i wasn't i wasn't the support that she needed i was definitely the support that i thought she needed coming out of our first major issue yeah and that's i continued on that road i didn't try to develop anything new i didn't try to grow any further i felt like i had the key to our initial issues in our marriage, and I just stayed on that path, and I did no other work to develop any further than I had in that time. Um, Jamie went to the doctor several times over uh, some issues that she was having, um, and she uh, it it was very difficult. She was struggling psychologically and emotionally, and did not have the necessary support structures in place and our network, our community, our family. Um, and it, it was a hard time. Ultimately we found out, you know, later after the fact yeah. that what Jamie sh was struggling with was postpartum depression. Um, there were, there were a lot of instances where I, I, I just held my hands up in there. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I didn't know how to really communicate how I was feeling or express how I was feeling. Um, I struggled with, well, I'm supposed to be the perfect mom. And, you know, I had this sick baby and we had to switch homes and everything just felt like it was in complete disarray. And while we had worked on our, our marriage and we had done some work on ourselves, it just wasn't enough. And so at first I tried to mask how I was feeling. Oh no, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, everything's good. And just flat out lying. No, everything's fine. Um, and by the time that I could no longer hold up that facade, it was too late. I was, it was like flipping a switch from, I'm sure on his end, it was like flipping a switch. I was fine. And then I wasn't fine from zero to a hundred. My wife is not my wife anymore. Um, and it was really, really difficult because he didn't know how to help. I was, I was clueless. I, yeah. I had... And I didn't know how to ask for the help because I didn't know what help I needed. I just knew I was sad and miserable and and while we're talking about postpartum depression yeah. like that this isn't just a conversation about that this is a conversation about mental health there's plenty of instances where it's not postpartum depression yep. and and we're not at this point we're not even really just talking about your spouse we're talking about anybody that you interact with yes they don't know how to fix what's wrong. They don't even know how to define what's wrong. And so it doesn't matter what your ability to communicate. Well, it doesn't matter that you were working right. on your ability to communicate. You now are trying to communicate something that for the most part, un unless you have been to school yeah. um, to, to be educated in psychology, you're not going to understand how to define 
explain, describe, articulate, or communicate yeah. any aspect of what you're going through. And the people that you're trying your best to communicate this to, they do not know, know how to help. Mm -mm. And that was the situation we found ourselves in. I didn't know how to help. And instead of instead of looking at myself and saying, okay, if, if this isn't something that I could manage, who can help me manage this? Who is where yeah. where where do we look to for help? I didn't do that. Um there were times where I had reached a point emotionally that I I was almost okay with Jamie masking the problem because if she wasn't telling me about it, I wasn't having to think about it either. And I think for Jamie, by masking it, by not talking about it with me, she could try and push it out of her yes. head as well. It wasn't at the forefront of her mind. Yep. Um, but it was building and building on top of my deficits. That you can I only cover had. it up for so long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, then the box just topples off the shelf and then suddenly it's in front of you and you have to deal with it. So ultimately we, we ended in a place where Jamie was considering suicide. Yes. Um, and unfortunately that's a very common aspect of postpartum depression, which is why if you are pregnant or if you have just had a child, and, and you find yourself struggling emotionally, even if it's the stuff that your mom goes, oh no, it's fine. I felt that way too. That's just how women feel. Talk to someone. Yes. Reach because out. yes, it's okay to cry for no apparent reason right after you have a child until it's not. Yep. Um, but honestly, I think this goes even further than just postpartum depression. Yes. Um, as a female, as a mom and a wife, a lot of the times we're so consumed with caring for the home and the kids and, and the husband and, and everything that we don't take the time to look inward and it's, oh, well, I, just, I had a bad day. It was just a bad day. Well, then that bad day turns into another bad day and then another and another. And again, by the time you realize it, you've reached maximum capacity and it's hard. And it's, you want to be everything to everyone all of the time, but you can't pour from your cup if it's if completely empty. empty. And so you're just draining yourself further and further and further. And that's how I felt then. And I have felt like that before, yeah. you know, but never really knew how to kind of label it or name it. And even after, I mean, I wish I could say that the end of this story had like this happy ending where we figured it all out and everything was yeah, perfect. But, but that's not the case. No. We, like I said, this, this wasn't a success, but this wasn't a, a failure. This, no. this was survival. We survived. Yeah. Um, and we made it through, we made it through based on, like I said before, sometimes you get lucky. Yeah. And when you show up to the obstacle, you, you have some tools by grace, have more tools in the toolbox yep. than you do garbage in your trash bag. And that's where we were. we, we made it through and that goes back. Well, we did, we talked about this kind of on the first episode. Y'all didn't see it because I cut out an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> we can because talk a we lot. can just keep on talking. Um, but uh, one of the one of the commitments we, we made to one another in our first failed marriage. And like I said, you, you would have heard this in the first episode had I not had to cut out so much to condense the podcast yeah. down. We made a commitment to one another to to love 200%. Yes. Um, you know, we, we had said several times uh, during our, our process of, of talking out our issues that, you know, this was going to take both of us giving 110%, 110%. Yep. And that just kept coming up. And, and it occurred to us at some point that, you know, like sometimes you feel like you're giving 110% mm -hmm. um, and it still don't feel like enough. So what is the answer then? And, and the answer is 200%. You have to love 200% because at some point in time, your spouse is going to face crisis or tragedy 
and they're not going to succeed at giving 110%. They're going to be surviving. Yes. And if all they're doing is surviving, they may, they may be giving nothing to the relationship. And so you have to make a commitment to one another to love each other 200% so that one of you can love strong enough for both of you in times of tragedy or crisis. Because especially if you have not reached a point in your life where you're becoming self-aware and, and you're starting to work on yourself, work on your deficits, um, double, double down on your strengths. If you haven't reached a point yet where you're managing those aspects of your mind, um, you're going to find yourself at a time of tragedy or crisis where you can't give anything. And when that happens, somebody has to be loving for both of you. Um, Ultimately, Jamie and I, we survived uh, Jamie's postpartum depression. I did not do well. I'm not proud of any aspect of the way I handled that entire period of our lives because I didn't, I didn't try in the right ways because I wasn't waking up. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to be self-aware yet. I wasn't being mindful. I was doing as much as I was doing and I wasn't doing anything else. When, when we came out of that, we came out with no new skills. Um, Over time, Jamie's postpartum depression subsided. Uh, like it normally does so long as the, the person hangs in there and continues to fight. And we, we finally reached the end of that road, but we didn't reach the end of that road because we handled it correctly. Um, we just finally came to the end of it. And that's why sometimes it's just about having enough tools in your toolbox. It'll get you through. Um, our biggest tool was, loving wholly and completely because I knew that I loved Jamie enough that nothing that she did was going to tear me away from wanting to continue to pursue a successful marriage. We just didn't know how to pursue it in that landscape. It was a very different environment in the years after Jamie's postpartum depression. Um, we reached some points where I had the opportunity to, finally find some progress. Uh, I had some experiences in my life we could get into much later that they were a wake-up call. Um, They opened my eyes to many things that I had been doing wrong my whole life. Um, It highlighted a lot of my deficits for me, and I realized that I had a lot of work to do. I realized that many of the things that had continued to be problems that would surface in my life and in our relationship were due to deficits that were my own that I hadn't come to terms with. I hadn't realized that I needed to work on them and they continued to influence how I responded to the world and life. They influenced the decisions I made that in many occasions were the wrong decisions. Um, and by the age of 32, um, 32 was a, a very important year in my life. Uh, I, I had a great awakening at that time for myself. And I realized that I had a lot of work to do. Um, I still continued to try and work on our relationship. Yeah. I, you know, we, we never stopped working on that. Um, but I would routinely take yeah. detours. And I did not, I, to be straight up with you, I was maintaining status quo for myself and our home and, and things like that. Um, because you really do, whether you realize or not, or not make a choice when it comes to addressing your deficits, addressing how self-aware you are, addressing your self-care and loving yourself. And I was maintaining status quo while he was growing. And I'm, I was watching it and I was like, you know, that is amazing, but I wasn't making that choice for myself. And that's a really dangerous place to be. But it's a place that most people find themselves yes. in. Um, 
you you continue on with life and you allow responsibilities to become distractions. Yes. I was finally at a point where I felt like I was probably more attentive as a husband than I'd ever been in our marriage. Um, I was putting more focus on how to be a better father. I wanted to give my children a better example on how they might be able to find happiness and find fulfillment, find a way to be more mindful and self-aware, um, be more compassionate, be more empathetic. And, um, and thank goodness for that as well, because when the next tragedy struck, I was so ill-prepared, whereas Mac was able to quite literally pick up the pieces that I was just dropping behind me, um, the loss of my father. While he had been sick for a very long time, his passing was very sudden. And to say that I was not prepared for it is a massive understatement. Um, I, I was not prepared in my heart. I was not prepared in my mind. And when it happened, it was an avalanche because I had not really worked on anything. My deficits had mounted up and that was literally all it took to just topple everything. And it's not like it hit in, in a way of, oh, this is what's happening. Yes, there was the grief and, and that period and that stage that you go through. But even after that stage, I still was not healing, but I didn't realize that I wasn't healing. I thought, well, no, this is just how it is now and it's okay. Um, but everything started to suffer. My physical health, my creativity, my business, my home, my kids, and even our relationship. And it, it took years. Mm -hmm. um, and Jamie and I have, we've talked about this at length in terms of, you know, how, how do you really functionally help your spouse uh, in, in these times? And I think the only answer is to be the example. Um, you know, if, if you want a better life for your spouse or a better life for your children, you have to pursue a better life for yourself. And then through that example, showing them how you are making changes, how you are finding positive growth. And, and I mean, I'll, I'll tell you some of the aspects of how it worked for me, because I know a lot of this is very vague. Yeah. Um, for me, it, it came from doing the most difficult things I could find to do. The things that made me the most uncomfortable. Um, anything that I thought about that initially made me go, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that is why I went to do those things. We've had conversations in this house many, many times where my advice to my children has been, sometimes you just do hard things because they're hard. I'm not saying that that's a fix-all. No. I'm not saying that that is the path for everyone. I'm saying in, in context of our household and how this worked for me and subsequently how it's worked for our kids and how it's worked for Jamie, um, we have pursued very, very difficult things. And that, that ranges a spectrum, you, yeah. know, uh, you know, between, you know, varying degrees of pursuing fitness. Um I guess we could talk about fasting. Yeah, um, <laughs> we won't get started. On yeah, that. we don't have to get started on fasting. Um, but yeah, uh, sometimes you just got to decide that you know you're beholden to you know your demons, and one of mine is food. Uh, I grew up morbidly obese. Um, I think by the age of eight, you know, a, a doctor had told my grandmother that like, no, he's he's going to be diabetic. Um, I. I drown myself in food when I'm struggling emotionally or psychologically. And so to break that, um, I chose to deny myself of the things that I was most beholden to. And, uh, and there's not many things in this world that are more uncomfortable, um, than being really, really, truly, hungry. truly hungry. <laughs> um, 
But no, that's that is a that's a very (laughs) off topic tangent. But we we pursued things that made us most uncomfortable because in that discomfort, when and I don't want this to sound like cult. Like (laughs) let me let me tell you about all the (coughs) let me tell you about all the weird stuff we're into. Um, So. I'm dying. I've been doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu since about late 2005. And and one of the the major lessons that Jiu-Jitsu will teach you is if you could find comfort in uncomfortable places, um, you'll never be uncomfortable again. And and I I ran with that. Um, I have pursued being uncomfortable in many different aspects of my life in order to grow past the things that I was afraid of, um, the, the shortcomings that I had, my insecurities, pursuing different avenues that would help me address those insecurities and those fears, those faults, those deficits. Um, they brought me to a place of better understanding of myself and allowed me to experience an existence where my focus did not have to be on how vulnerable is this going to make me to discuss these things, to pursue this, to, to, to find ways to meaningfully change, not, not just change for me, but change for my family. Um, and it was, I feel a necessary part of my healing was his growth because he had grown so much in those years in between postpartum depression for me and the loss of my father, he was able to kind of become almost like a placeholder where I would lose bits of myself. He was there to pick those up and hold them for me. Like, no, I've still got that. I've got that. Um, A prime example is my photography. I was literally for a long time there running on autopilot, um, trying to find the, the get up and go and the creativity and, and the inspiration. It wasn't there. There, there was no motivation. There was no, there was no meaning. There was no meaning behind it anymore. My whole world had flipped upside down and I was not prepared on how to handle it deal with it or put it back together. And if it hadn't been for Matt going, well, why don't we try this? Or, Hey, you know, I I had an idea, but he was doing that in all aspects, not just with the business. He was doing it in so many other ways as well. Pushing me. Hey, why don't you go, go take a bath? Why why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? But he was never an overbearing presence of just get better. Why haven't you gotten over it already? It's time. Move on. Let go. Which is a stark contrast because there are many of those phrases in various ways or forms. That was my reaction during our, our first time of crisis. Yep. During postpartum depression. I just didn't understand why she couldn't. Just you know, let go you, and move on. You're, you're still holding on to that. Um, I, it was, I was inadequate. But that right there is the perfect example of why growth and addressing the deficits, and I feel like we're going to use that word to death, but it's true. Addressing your deficits is so incredibly important. Maybe both of you aren't doing it at the same time. That's okay. Yeah. one of you is because that allows growth for one person. And then when the other person starts to fall short or fall down, the other person is able to pick them back up. And that speaks to a bigger point too. Um, something, this is something that Jamie and I have both said uh, in, on a few occasions to uh, either friends or clients who have come to us um, just asking for simple advice on how to, get out of whatever slump their relationship is currently in. Um, and sometimes it's not both of them. Sometimes it's just one. Yeah. And, you know, it, the question will be phrased along the lines of, you know, 
how do how do I get them to engage again? And that, that's not the answer. The answer isn't. Jamie and I do not believe that this is a situation. A marriage is a situation where both people have to be committed in getting out of the treacherous areas of your relationship. If one person is trying hard enough, there's hope. Um, yes. Now that's not to say that that's always going to be the case. There are plenty of instances where you know, someone who is not engaged in the success of their relationship. Um, there, there's a difference between someone not being engaged and someone actively sabotaging. Yes. Um, if you're married to a person who is abusive, that that's not what we're talking about. If you're married to a person who is actively pursuing other extramarital relationships, that is not what we're talking about. But if you're in a relationship with someone who is just on autopilot, and they're not engaged in the relationship. It doesn't take both people being engaged right now at the same time to develop a better relationship. If one of you is engaged in a way where you are pursuing development and you're pursuing growth and you're pursuing being more mindful, um, that in and of itself can elevate the other person in the relationship even if they're not in a place where they're pursuing growth on their own, you could help raise them to a place where they can, they can see a hopeful future and that can lead to their own pursuit of personal growth. I know in our situation, um, the thing that I felt was the greatest negative impact that I could see, that was something that was, it was very easy to define um, was photography for Jamie. From the day we met, she's had a camera around her neck and that camera had been there for years before I even came into the picture. And we were suddenly in a place where creatively and from a, a perspective of a passion, photography was not there for Jamie anymore. Um, it was, uh, Jamie was on autopilot with the business um, everything that she was doing, they did not bring her joy. It did not inspire her. And she was just surviving. She was surviving in life. She was surviving within her passion. Um, now for years, there were elements of photography that Jamie had been trying desperately to get me to understand and pursue. Um, you know, back when Jamie and I first met, uh, studio photography was kind of the only game in town. Nobody was really doing on location photography. Um, I mean, it, it was happening commercially, uh, you know, in, in the aspect of advertising, but in terms of families and things like that, nobody was really taking pictures, you know, outdoors or on location. Um, and, you know, Jamie had a ton of experience with flash work and, you know, like, uh, understanding like light sculpting. Um, it was something that she was very passionate about at one time. She, she enjoyed playing with shadows. She enjoyed using light to craft an image the way that she was designing in her mind. And, uh, and I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I was lazy. Um, I was really upset when she told me that, you know, she, that she would be really upset with me if she caught me using, uh, some of the automatic modes on, on my camera. Um, you know, like, uh, I'd. I tried to kind of sneak aperture priority a little while. That's a, that, that's a, a setting in a camera that lets you kind of just select one thing and then let the camera do the rest. <laughs> and, uh, and Jamie was furious. She, she, uh, she, she was not a fan. She really wanted me to understand how a camera worked in, in every aspect and, and how to produce, um, a very specific effect or end result in camera. Um, and, uh, and I've always called her an, a snob for it. Um, but over time I started to understand why, you know, but when, when it came time for me to learn how to use lighting equipment, um, I realized that I, I wasn't going to be able to, uh, taking the, the easy route being lazy. Um, I was going to have to actually learn the things that Jamie was trying to teach me. And I was just very resistant. And, uh, the first time that she pulled out a flash and, uh, 
she told me, uh, I said, all right, what do I do? She said, put it in manual. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> if this is another thing that I've got to learn manual settings on, I'm out. I'm not doing it. And I stayed in that mindset yeah. for years. And, um, and it blocked the creative aspect for Jamie because, you know, in a studio, you could sit, I mean, just like yeah. we're doing here, we, we have light stands, the lights are staying in place. Yep. We don't Side have to move go. anything. We're staying in the same place. We're yep. the same distance from the camera. This is how it would work in a studio on location. You need two people who understand light. And because I was so resistant, um, I, I blocked an aspect of Jamie's creativity literally for years. And so once we hit a point where Jamie was creatively devoid and no longer found her passion to be fulfilling and was really on autopilot. Um, and, and I'm telling you this because this is how I tried to find a way to bring Jamie back. Um, this wasn't from a relationship standpoint. This was just something that I knew was important to her. I knew it was something that defined her character. I knew that it was something that she was passionate about. And I watched that passion leave. And when you, when you're in a relationship with somebody and you know that there is this thing that brings them so much joy and then suddenly it doesn't, that's very disturbing. If you care, you know, if, if you are involved in your relationship in that way, it's devastating for you when you suddenly can't define what your spouse is passionate about. Yeah. Um, and so I decided that it was time for me to break away from the things that I had been hesitant to learn, the things that I was resistant to, that were all built out of the, the aspects of my character that we were discussing just a moment ago. There were things that I was uncomfortable with. There were things that made me feel inadequate. Um, trying something new and looking foolish is a scary thing. And it, it prevented me from giving Jamie the support in an area that she was passionate about. And once I identified that as a deficit within my character, I sought to change that. And so I devoted all of my time to learning the things that Jamie had tried for years to teach me. And we finally hit a point where she was excited about getting back out and creating something with her camera. For a very long time, Jamie wanted to break out away from this area and go to new locations. Um, she wanted to consistently photograph in new places. And I, I was too busy. I, I wanted to stay close to home. I had too many things to do and I wouldn't afford her the opportunity to go to the areas that she wanted to go to, um, to, to photograph the areas that she wanted to photograph the locations that she wanted to see. Um, we turned down a lot of clients in a lot of really cool places because I didn't want to make the time. Um, for years, I, I, I set boundaries for how many sessions we would shoot and how many, specifically weddings, yeah. how many weddings mm -hmm. we would shoot. I, I, I put a cap on that um, because I just didn't feel like I had time. When we hit a period where I knew that the only way Jamie could bridge back to being passionate about photography would be for me to open up and be more for her, give more support. We found ourselves in a place where sh she was able to see hope again in, in the things that she was passionate about. And that, that was just one area. And that is what you can do as a supportive spouse in those times when, you know, because the issue here wasn't, the issue wasn't Jamie's grief or the depression that followed or the guilt or the anger. You know, the issue was that we, we met a time in life where the deficits that Jamie had in her character, where she failed to grow, collided yes. with tragedy. And that is when life becomes untenable. And Mac had worked on himself enough where he was more capable. So if we go back to the analogy of the toolbox and the garbage bag, I was in a situation where I had very little tool and a whole lot of garbage. And if it wasn't for Mac, not just supporting me in the ways of 
that are typical of, you know, hey, I love you and, you know, I'm here for you. He did so much more than that. It became a situation where I was watching him pick up my pieces, but then go above and beyond what I could even expect that it was, it was kind of just that realization of this, this man really loves me. And it was him loving me so much, so hard that I started to go, I, I have to, to change here somehow, make some kind of growth. And the photography was one aspect. Um, the second that we were able to just kind of branch out just a little bit, there was hope. And I think that little bit of hope was all it took to spark something else inside of me. And then suddenly it was, well, what if I do this in this aspect? And so I would do that, whether it was being more mindful, much more aware. Um, journaling became a huge part of my day to day. Every night I sat down to journal. That was my time to get everything out. And through that process, I became much more mindful of my behavior, my actions, and what triggered negative actions that could literally ruin my entire day. And him reaching out on a consistent basis allowed me room to talk and hash things out and get it out of my system. And he also knew, even when I said, no, everything's fine. I, I don't want to talk about it right now, or there's nothing left to say. I think that was my biggest one. Yeah. Is, there's nothing left to say. I've said it all. He would just sit with me. And eventually through that sitting there, I would start pouring it out. Um, he didn't just get up and leave the room like, well, okay then, you know, if you're not going to talk to me. The biggest thing that you can do for someone who is struggling is freaking love them. Support them. Pick up the pieces that they're dropping and just hold them for a little bit for them. Because they're going to need them when they come back. And they'll come back. You just have to be willing to wait a little bit and know that through loving them, supporting them, and, and honestly, sometimes going, hey, look, I think it's time you seek therapy. Um, drop the, the stigma that surrounds mental health you know, issues you know, you need, you need to reach out to somebody and get help or maybe medication is the key or don't be afraid to broach those subjects because they're really, really important because the person that is suffering with it will beat themselves up and feel guilty and tell themselves, well, I don't, I don't need that. I just need to pull myself up by my bootstraps and tough it out. But when someone is going, hey, you know, it's okay to need I'm looking forward to a time within our society where someone could be in mixed company and make the statement, my therapist suggested that I do this, uh, yeah. without fear of judgment. Um, yeah. Mental health is still an, an issue that's so stigmatized. And typically the people that are passing judgment, those people believe that they are whole, that they are completely developed. They they find no fault in their way. They, they think they have... They have grown as much as they're going to grow. Those people, you know them. They, yes. They say things like, you know, well, my parents did it to me and I turned out just fine. No, you did not. No. Nope. You, <laughs> you did not turn out just fine. Um, we, we definitely need to bridge, bridge the gap to a place where mental health is not stigmatized in the yes. way it is. Um, there have been many instances of my life where I was at the edge of crazy. And I mean, not to reiterate something that doesn't need to be reiterated, but luckily I had enough tools yeah. in the toolbox. Um, you know, and the, the biggest tool, the biggest tool that we had, you know, we said this earlier, but I want to reiterate this really. Um, the biggest tool we had was 
loving wholly and completely. If we had not had that one tool where giving up wasn't an option, you know, we made the decision that that failure was not an option. Yeah. We would not give up in our first failed marriage. Yeah. Coming out of that, the biggest tool that we had was that we would never get up, give up on one another. That tool was really the only tool we had going into Jamie's postpartum depression. Had it not been for that, I don't think we would have made it out no. of that. Luckily, we had that tool. Um, I hope that's a tool that anybody watching this could try to develop and try to manifest in their own life and their own relationship. Um, love them, especially in the moments when they can't love themselves. Yes. Love them. Love them the most. Yes. Love them so completely and don't let them give up on themselves. You let them know every day that they're the best thing that's ever happened to you, that you love them, that they complete you. And without them, you're not complete. That is what Mac did for me every day. And I'm going to start crying. <laughs> no one will say um, without that, I don't know who I'd be right now in this moment. And I know that I'll forever keep growing. Um, and I know that we'll forever keep growing together. He's going to change and I'm going to change. But as long as we love each other completely and totally without judgment, I don't think that there's anything that we can't overcome. This was a really hard episode. Y'all. It really was. Um, and the jump cut, because of having yeah, to take we're, we're sorry. We, 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 had, <laughs> we had to stop several times. We had to stop because um, these aren't easy topics, but they're so important to talk about. And I'm sure there's aspects of this where it felt like we were being vague yeah. and we didn't go into deep detail. And I'll be honest with you. Some of that is, uh, we're not perfect yet. And nope. there's some things that we're... We we want to be comfortable sharing. We're just we're just we're not, not there yet. yet. But this was a really hard episode. I pray that there is something in there that y'all find use in. Yeah. Because I do feel like it's important. It may be the most important thing that should be talked about. And not not by us, by by professionals and by well, by everybody. By everybody. everybody should be talking about this. Yep. Um but yeah, it was difficult. Uh I think we're probably going to touch base on this again in the future just yes. because there's elements of it that I think it would be cathartic to be able to get out. Yep. Um, and because I think it's a topic that's ever changing and it's a topic that I don't think you could dive deep enough into it. You, you need to keep going. That's, that's the way to get to the root of things is you dive in and you don't stop. And this is just one of those topics, I think, I, I for think us, I, I think well, it's I mean, going we, to be. We never stop talking about no. these things. Like this is a topic that we cover with one another daily because we're we're at a place in our lives where both of us are invested, not just in our relationship and not just in the growth of ourselves individually, but ensuring that we are supporting the other person's growth as yep. well. And, you know, so we, we talk about this a lot. Um as it pertains to us, it's really difficult to talk about it in the context of many, many people because yeah. problems vary. Um, your your position of development currently, your age, how experienced you are in yes. relationships. There's a billion different factors and variables, um, but but it is important. And like I said, we'll we'll probably cover some aspects of this again. I'm I mean, there's plenty of stuff in here that. We will have to reiterate just by yes. covering aspects of our relationship. Originally, we we, we did get some questions um, about our wedding and why, yeah. why that didn't happen. We'll cover that on another episode. We're sorry yes, that yeah. we didn't touch base on that. We just really felt like um, the, the question about um, helping your spouse when they're they're in a place where they're they're struggling mentally and emotionally. We've, we felt like that was important to talk about. Um even though, I mean, we're, we're really not qualified to talk about it in the context of 
We're not licensed therapists by any yeah, stretch of the imagination, we're, however. <laughs> we're not qualified to talk about it in the aspect of um, someone navigating their own mental health, but um, we definitely have experience in struggling with mental health and struggling in a relationship where someone is affected by mental health. Yes. Um, and, and not just in the context that we just discussed. I mean, there's, there's aspects of our family that, uh, like, this is profoundly important to us. Yes. Um, for a million different reasons. But, um, and it needs to be discussed and it needs to be talked about. And, and it needs to be destigmatized. Yes. And we will actually put the link um, probably in the description or we we'll try to put it on the video for um, suicide hotline. Yes. If you ever feel, mm, I'm gonna start crying again. <laughs> um, if you ever reach that point, just know that you're not alone. You're not alone. And there, you know, you're not and alone. tomorrow is better. Everything, so, this this is something we talk about a lot, um, and we'll we'll end with this. Um, the worst times in your life are temporary, so there's reason for hope because this w- this will be over. This will end. This this terrible thing. This will end. The best times in your life are also temporary. That is all the more reason to make sure that you embrace them and you enjoy them and you appreciate them. Um. Guys, if you ever need anything, we're here. Reach out to us. Reach out to somebody. Yep. There's always somebody to talk to. Do not feel alone. We love you guys. We love you. Mwah. Peace out, homies. <laughs> I wasn't going to do that. <laughs>